Welcome to Digital Conversations, a podcast about using digital channels to engage your prospects and customers and make more money. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of Digital Conversations. Uh, This week we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take highlights from five of our episodes we did during 2020. Um, So we're going to be highlighting John Miller, Chief Product Officer Officer at Demandbase, Jackie Hermes, Founder and CEO of Accelity, Garrett McGruth, President and CEO of Directive, Amanda Stevens, uh, Conversational Designer at Masters of Code, and David Lewis, CEO and Founder of DemandGen and host of DemandGen Radio. Um, Hope everyone made the best of their 2020. And uh, if you want more conversations like this, Uh, Remember to subscribe wherever podcasts are found, and you'll get a new episode um, every week. Let's talk about the next step, which is, you know, they're engaged. um, And I think this is really where where people either do a great job or deals fall apart because it it doesn't work that well, is when you're working together with sales, I know traditionally it's kind of been a baton pass where it's like, okay, here they are, like, wrap it up, turn it into closed one. Um, you know, how do you work together with sales well to, uh, to keep marketing to them while they're in the sales process? Yeah. I mean, I think that baton example you just use is a really good one. I mean, like, like back to the fishing with nets world and the Marketo world that I helped to create, it was all about that efficient handoff, you know, marketing generates the lead, hands it to the SDR, they hand it to sales. But in the fishing with spears world, it's just totally more dynamic. I just talked about like the salesperson might be the one emailing the account early on in follow up to the direct mail package you just sent, you know, with underlying support from from uh, you know advertising. And so to me, instead of a baton handoff, it feels it's much more like a, a soccer team or a football team, you know, where you've got people in different positions. You know, so there are different specialties, but they, they work in a coordinated and orchestrated fashion as they move the ball up and down the field. Um, and to really make that work, you know, what I find is that, you know, you really need, uh, first of all, marketing and sales teams, honestly, just to be looking at the same data, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, your customers probably a lot of them use Salesforce. You know, Salesforce has a strange thing where you have, you know, there's really a, a page for the leads in Salesforce and there's another page for accounts in Salesforce and marketers tend to live on that lead page and salespeople tend to live on that account page. And that literally means marketing and sales aren't on the same page, <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, just getting everybody looking at, at account data, even, and then even if once you look at the account, the salespeople typically don't really have visibility into the marketing touches that the people of that account have responded to because the way the data rolls up, again, particularly in Salesforce. And so just getting that common view of the account is sort of step one. You know, step two then is to sort of almost like establish what are the things that you want to proactively be notifying sales about or put another way that sales wants to be notified about. Right. So if you have one of those accounts I talked about earlier that are in market for the solu- your solutions and are entering a buying process, but you, they're not in your system, right? Sales wants to be notified, you know, like tell me which accounts in my territory 
are, are showing that, that high intent. You know, or let's say I've got an open opportunity and then all of a sudden when, the, when those accounts start showing intent for my competition, boy, I wanna know about that too. So set up those proactive notifications for sales you know, that are really about the insights that are gonna help them sell better. Uh, and then the third step in, in moving towards being a soccer team, this one's pretty obvious, is just start talking to each other. Uh, and, and the process I really recommend is something I call the ABM standup. And in an ABM standup, you get the sales rep and a marketer and an SDR if you have one, and that's it, just these three people. Every two weeks, they have a 15 minute standing meeting to talk about the accounts. You know, what's going on at these accounts? How are we penetrating them? What are they interested in? What plays are we gonna run? And literally just something as simple as doing this, you know, 15 minute standup every two weeks, I've seen work absolute wonders. Um, Snowflake, which again, we're, the day we're recording the Snowflake had the largest tech IPO ever yesterday. Yep. Uh, $70 billion, they do ABM standups. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. What's your secret sauce? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, good question. Uh, I think that mine is doing the legwork. I think every marketer is looking for the hack and they're yeah. like, ah, oh, what's going to make my conversion rates go way, way up. And to me, it's doing the legwork. Like people ask me how I got to, I don't know, however many followers on LinkedIn. Well, I figured out who I wanted to connect with. I connected with them. I built relationships. It's not just like a, I pushed content and it appeared in front of people. It's doing the work. Awesome. Awesome. I think a lot of people do. We always look for the hack. We want the easy yeah. people. But I do I, that too. But <laughs> We know. all do. We, we yeah. all start there. We're like, well, you know, how's this the quickest way? And there's some blog, you know, 10, 10 easy ways to get a, a thousand connections in a month, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't really work and those connections most likely aren't going to be that valuable to you. Um, right. So on LinkedIn, let's talk about that for a second. Cause this is something I'm pretty interested in. Um, when you're targeting people growing a LinkedIn audience, what's advice you would give anybody trying to do that? What would you do if you were starting over today? If I were starting over today, I would identify the kinds of people that I want to connect with. And so for us, that is CEOs, executives, and other stakeholders within SaaS companies of a certain size. I would make a list of the 50 companies that I want to work with. I would find all of their executives and like those people that I just mentioned on LinkedIn. And I would go and start commenting on their stuff if they're posting on LinkedIn. I would look at what they're commenting on and I would respond to their comments. I would make them know my face and then request them as a connection and just build that relationship. Like people do that to me all the time. And it's so cool because they'll comment on my posts for three months and send me really nice messages of encouragement and then they'll say hey i'd love to record a podcast with you or i'd love to get on the phone with you for 30 minutes so you can give me feedback on my product and by the time they've done that i'm happy to do it so yeah. to me it's all about being really specific about who you want to know and then going and getting to know them okay okay i like it that's that seems like the right way to do it um yeah. it awesome takes time that's yeah, for sure. That's it's not a, a hack, but that is not a hack. That is not yeah. a hack for sure. But I'm sure that doing it the right way, I think always pays off. 
you know, yeah. it doesn't pay off as quick, but it always pays off. So yeah, that's, uh, my mom used to tell me that about cleaning the bathroom growing up the <laughs> right way the first time, then you wouldn't have to do it over again. I think it's like burned into my brain. And now I find myself saying that to other people. So there's the takeaway. <laughs> What do you yeah. see people doing doing wrong when they're trying to acquire new customers besides, you know, they're just speaking too broad to an audience? Anything, yeah. anything on a drill down that you're like, hey, don't try this. Yeah, I mean, there's a billion things. I think we all make mistakes every day. And, you know, luckily, when you're a consultant, you get the perspective of many mistakes, whether they're your own yeah. or others. Yeah. And you, you had a lot more exposure. Um, so I'd say some of the biggest things that people are. I think usually struggling with is they like to think they make data-driven decisions, but they don't. So like we all say, no, no, no. You know, once there's ROI, we'll scale spent. Like, uh -huh. you know, once we see a little bit of return, we'll grow. I can't tell you over seven years, how many people actually grow their spends. Like not that many people actually grow even when they're seeing success because so many other things break, right? The customer success team can't hire fast enough. Engineers can't fulfill the roadmap. AEs don't have enough. Like, there's a lot of reasons why you can't just turn on growth. But yeah. I'd say the biggest thing is like most organizations, most demand gen marketers still don't have a financial model that gives them confidence of where they should spend their next dollar or how much their current dollars are making. Like, they don't have an LTV CAC model at the channel level so that they know the LTV CAC of Captera versus Google ads versus software advice versus LinkedIn versus content syndication versus programmatic versus webinars versus events versus SDRs versus doing an acquisition of a new tool or launching an extension or doing a new integration. And they have no way of deciding what to do other than gut. And so, and then when they do something, they have no idea how to tell if it's working or not because they don't know what their cost per SQL should be. They don't know what their cost per MQL should be. And you don't have blanket cost per MQLs. You have cost per SQLs that are a ratio of your acquisition cost. And so as you start to learn the game and you get yourself a little bit more organized with your financials and you like, if you can, like if you're a SaaS marketer and you're in house, I think one of the best things you can do is you can build a relationship with the finance team. And most frankly don't have one. They mm -hmm. get given a budget and then they try to make it work instead of trying to craft with the CFO or whoever, like, hey, how are we determining this budget? What are we getting measured by? What, you know, what, is this aligning with what the board wants, what the CEO wants? And and actually getting into the numbers. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake I still see almost everyone in marketing make is they're starting to get better with sales and they're starting to work better with sales, but I don't see them still working well enough with finance. Um, and because of that, it's really hard to push growth and make a case for why you should get the next dollar instead of sales development or account executives or whatever that is. Can you walk us through your six points and why, why you've chosen those things as you guys have uh, developed your own methodology? Absolutely. Sure. Um, so, you know, in order for us to kind of come to these six areas, we did a lot of research, not only what we experienced,
experience with our own clients. We also looked at what Google's doing, what Microsoft is looking at, what IDEO is looking at, and we kind of put everything together and came up with these six key points. Um, so, you know, this is what you would look at these points once you've done your data analysis, once you've kind of categorized queries um, and have a, a series of use cases that you can potentially build for in this conversational solution. So the first thing that we look at, are people talking about this today? <laughs> because if they're not talking about it today, why would there suddenly be an influx of traffic related to this topic or this use case once you put a bot in place, right? So does the data exist that people are asking about this? People are wanting to know more about this topic. So let me pause you real quick. So like I'm a brand, let's pretend like I'm a big brand and I want, I want you guys to build me a bot. Um, and you know, I don't know exactly what, so how would, how would I figure out if people are talking about this? So maybe it's like a promotion that we're running or a new product. Like what, let's like walk through a little bit of an example. Sure. So, um, people, the data that we look at, those transcripts, those tweets, the posts on social media, even emails to the brand, people will ask about questions, maybe it's related to a product. It could be something if it's retail, again, do you ship for free or I'm okay. on, in Australia, can you, can you, you ship? It's, you know, they're yeah. reaching out to the brand directly because they can't find the information on online or in store or wherever. Yeah. So we look at when they're reaching out to the brand, uh, what are they asking? And is there a theme or a trend there that can be automated? That makes sense, makes sense. Okay, next thing keep we going. Look, oh, <laughs> keep <sure>. going. <laughs> the, next, the next thing we look at is, um, you know, the complexity of the, the current state. Is the current state a brief interaction? So when we think about prioritizing use cases for a conversational solution, do we want to go, uh, you know, select a use case that's going to require 20 plus uh, interactions between the bot and the user? I mean, yeah. a lot, the more steps you have to get to where you're going means there is more chances for, for errors to occur, for someone to fall out of the flow, maybe not complete the flow. So again, when we're prioritizing, we wanna make sure, is the, are the interactions brief already? Or is it a really complex uh, process to get the information we need from the user in order to point them in the right direction? Okay, that makes sense. And then we look at, okay, current state, right? We always wanna understand what the current state is in order to automate that. So we'll even, you know, draw it out, um, look at what are the different programs or platforms, if there's any integrations, what does that look like currently? Um, so does it require, like I said, multiple interactions within a system to complete this task or to find this answer? Because if it's, for example, just, a, you know, a quick, uh, someone just going to the, a, a web page on a website and getting their answer, do we really want to build a conversational solution? Is it saving time? What, what, how is it, a, you know, appeasing this pain point? If it's already just, a, you know, they only have to deal with one system. So we want to make sure to kind of drive efficiency with automation. A good use case to prioritize is one that requires multiple interactions with a system and, and multiple systems as well, which is the next, uh, next piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, next year too. <laughs> so multiple interactions was the, was um, the third one and then the fourth is the multiple systems because that makes things easy if a chatbot can pull data from 
one data one database and another system or another platform and put it all together i mean that's so much easier for a user to get that information digested and, and point them in the right direction. Yeah, this is one of the things that I really love that you you like made this a point, something we look at because, <coughs> excuse me, whether you're doing you know, a mini chat bot, your own conversational AI bot, or even like Drift or Intercom, you know, the great thing about all these things is you have all these integrations, you can pull data from different sources and that chat bot can kind of be a concierge and say, Oh, let me check on this for you or make sure you you're in this box. You know, um, it's a great way to just do a very low to, you know, like it's not highly complex, but just easy things that a person doesn't need to do anymore. Like you can have a bot do these things and look at all of these systems. Exactly. And I'll bring back the example of, you know, the biotech company that wanted to create, a bot that prioritizes training, which um, we are doing now that the the training software has been you know optimized and features have been added. Yeah. Um, but it's also going to connect not just with the training system, but hey, can I you know make a reminder for me to to do that training? Okay, it's going to connect with my Google Calendar and also send me an email, right? Yeah. So what a what a great use case! It's connecting to your email, the training system, and your calendar. Uh, and you're, you're making all that happen in one conversational environment. Yeah. You know, the bots, if a bot just lives on its own with no integrations, man, it's not that useful of a bot most of the time. The, the beauty is like, Hey, I can look at your calendar. I can look into the CRM or I can look mm -hmm. into our marketing automation, you know, and see, Oh yeah, you were sent this email, you know, it's, it's just awesome what we can do with that. So I'll, I'll let you keep going. I know you've got two more to, two more to go through. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, the last two around, what are the current difficulties around this use case? If we're going to prioritize this, that means there needs to be a benefit of building it in a conversational solution than current state. So many of these are all very much related to each other, but we do ask the client these six separate questions um, because it really helps them, you know, go through the motion of, okay, what what am I trying to make happen? What am I, what efficiencies uh, am I trying to drive? Mm -hmm. What am I saving users time? Am I saving users, you know, I'm just offering them a more seamless solution and also a conversational one, which is great. That level of personalized personalization is also great, but what else is the, you know, let's look at the efficiencies that are being created with this. And finally, um, and I love bringing this one up too, because again, you get interesting answers from project to project. Do users feel comfortable talking or typing about this today? Yeah. Are these use cases so sensitive that you might not feel comfortable typing it to a bot? Um, so something really, really important that sometimes gets overlooked because you just think, well, if you can talk to a, maybe a live agent about it today, why, why wouldn't you be able to talk to a, a bot? But sometimes there is that, you know, it is slightly different when you're talking to that automated system. With, you know, the changes we've had with COVID, what channels are you seeing as being the most effective for driving, driving people to your website and engaging them right now? Like what, what are you seeing as a consultant? Well, it's not that some things have gone away, but it's not that like the buyer's behavior 
um, has changed. I want to start with that, right? There's still the old, they need to go through awareness, interest, desire, and action. So the buyer's journey has not changed um, whether there's a global pandemic, right? The psychology of buying, uh, the why people buy, all of that remains the same. But two things have absolutely fundamentally changed this year. And I think there's a silver lining to this. And one, Billy, is that um, the way that you are interacting with your uh, prospects and your customers has gone 100% digital or yeah. virtual, right? It, you know, if, we, if we consider phone, and phones are digital these days, there's no more analog phones, but um, well, maybe there are somewhere. But you know, the, uh, the way that everybody's interacting is digital. We're not, we're not walking into offices and doing face-to-face -face sales anymore. I'm right now in the process of uh, signing a new lease for my car every three years. You know, it's time for a new lease. Yep. And right, you, it's contactless when you, when you buy a car. And it was very interesting when I called the car manufacturer today, the leasing company, and I said, hey, listen, I need to extend my lease for a month or two because it's just going to take me a little extra time to go find a car these days. And really, that was my excuse of giving me more time. It doesn't take that much longer. They said, oh, sure, we can extend your lease for two months. No problem. Uh, do you want us to... Uh, send you some DocuSigns or, or is there a place to mail the paperwork? I'm like, oh, please, that's wonderful. Like I yeah. can do DocuSign and sign that it was great. But you know, it wasn't wonderful, Billy. This is crazy. I couldn't interact with them. So it's Porsche Financial Services. I couldn't interact with them on their website. I was blown away. I actually had to call. I actually <clears throat> had to go through a nightmare phone tree. And I actually had to speak to someone um, to do what I needed to do. I'm expecting that I should have been able to handle all of that digitally and and you can't and i can't even um on their website easily set up for like recurring payments which you can yeah. do on most websites today i yeah. can make a one-time payment but it's very difficult to set up recurring payments you got to fill out paperwork so a lot of companies have have taken this you know uh global pandemic situation that we're in and accelerated their digital transformation initiatives, which is great. Like I said, that's the silver yep. lining and all this, but a lot of companies still have a ways to go. And I'm blown away when, for example, I go to, you know, someone's site and, and there's no way to interact and, and chat with someone and you've got to pick up the phone or, or send an email and customers want immediacy these days. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And for past episodes, go to chatfunnels.com slash podcast.